Good morning and welcome to another episode of this podcast. Today is Saturday the 15th of April and today I will cover obviously yesterday's trading day and the economic data that was released yesterday as well. I will also summarize all economic data that has been released in the past two weeks and explain what this data means for markets and the further outlook of monetary policy. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. This week and last week truly has been incredible in terms of economic data. In today's stock market coverage, I would like to put the economic data of the past two weeks into order and explain what macroeconomic picture has been created in the past two weeks and what this data means for markets in general. It basically all started last week. We got weaker than expected ISM PMI manufacturing data, followed by a weaker than expected ADP payrolls number, and then jobless claims came in higher than anticipated. However, the jobs report from last Friday pretty much overshadowed all the weaker-than-expected economic data. The unemployment rate fell to a record low in March, and the payrolls number, which is very important for the Fed in the battle against inflation, came in harder than expected as well. Then we got CPI data this week, which showed that inflation is indeed still coming down. However, the data showed that the most disinflationary pressures are coming from food and energy prices. Core inflation, which is a better indicator of overall price pressures for the Fed because it excludes the very volatile food and energy prices, remains very sticky and hence it is important to not be misguided by the headline figure. BlackRock has summarized the CPI report very nicely. They believe that the markets and the Fed should not read too much into the most recent CPI data, but should look at the labor market instead. Larry Summers from Harvard said a couple of weeks ago in a Bloomberg Wall Street Week interview that in order for inflation to fall back to the 2% target of the Fed, wage inflation needs to come significantly down. And in order to achieve that, the unemployment rate needs to rise. Hence, I totally agree with BlackRock that we must look closely at the labor market data before reading too much into the most recent CPI report. What this ultimately means is that the Fed has to stay hawkish and keep rates higher for longer until the labor market starts to really cool down, while at the same time taking into account that monetary policy does affect the real economy with a significant delay and that is uh, because of this delay i certainly believe that after another 25 basis point interest rate hike in may a pause uh, would be appropriate to see how the recent um, most recent interest rate hikes affect the real economy based on the recent economic data and i talked about this in yesterday's episode the market is in a goldilocks scenario The recent data right now is showing an immaculate disinflation scenario where we are seeing inflation come down while the unemployment rate remains at a record low. However, this is a very unsustainable status quo because inflation simply cannot be on a sustainable downward trajectory without a significant softening of the labor market. 
In addition to the most recent economic data, we got very interesting earnings reports from some of the big U.S. banks yesterday. J.P. Morgan and Chase reported first quarter profit and revenue that absolutely crushed expectations. PNC Financial and Wells Fargo also reported stronger than expected numbers. Mohamed El Rian, president of the Queen's College, said something very interesting yesterday after those results were reported by the big banks. He said that, quote, when will we stop calling this a banking crisis? This is indeed a very appropriate question. The recent events in the banking sector have caused many fears amongst investors, and Wall Street quickly started to believe that these weaknesses will pose a policy implication for the Federal Reserve. However, the most recent earnings show that the banking sector is in an overall healthy position and the recent events, for example the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, are more likely to be caused by management issues and um, the failure to, to adapt to new circumstances and not so much truly by the tightening credit conditions. These strong earnings have now added to the fear of Wall Street that the Federal Reserve will keep rates at a higher level for longer than currently priced in by markets. In my opinion, things really start to add up right now. We do see this inflation, but mostly in the headline number, while core inflation remains very sticky. The labor market is still very resilient and the big banks are reporting very good numbers so far. At the same time, the Fed is telling us that they will keep rates higher for longer. For example, Fed Governor Christopher Waller said yesterday, according to Bloomberg, that he favors more policy tightening by the Federal Reserve. In, in addition to that, according to a report by Reuters, Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic was calling for an interest rate hike of another 25 basis points in May before pausing. Regarding the outlook of monetary policy, Philip Orlando, chief equity market strategist and head of client portfolio management at Federates Hermes, said to Bloomberg yesterday that, quote, the Fed, once they do that last hike, in all likelihood is going on a pause, and we think a pause is going to last for a while, likely into next year, end of quote. This would mean that the market is wrong in pricing and rate cuts by the Federal Reserve this year, and this mispricing would, of course, put downward pressures on equities throughout this year. The market is simply pricing in a far too unrealistic Goldilocks scenario at the moment, which will, in the long run, put downward pressure on equities. And also, obviously, if you look at the fixed income uh, segment, if you look at the uh, at bonds and treasury yields, I believe the two-year treasury yield has to significantly rise. You look at history, the two-year treasury yield usually always rises above the final uh, Fed, federal funds rate, right? So we're going to, to reach a federal funds rate of 5%, which would, historically speaking, um, cause the two-year yield uh, to, to rise above 5% as well. But, but we will get back to that um, a little bit later. Um, Mohamed El Rian had a wonderful interview yesterday on Bloomberg Surveillance, and I would like to mention some of the things he said yesterday because they are incredibly interesting. El Rian calls the recent events in the banking sector simply a banking tremor. A few banks that were caught offside and badly supervised were taken down. The fact that we are seeing great numbers from the big banks seems to show that we are not in a banking crisis. The way markets reacted 
to the earnings of the big banks shows that we are still in a world where good news is bad news because good economic data ultimately means more rate hikes by the Fed or that rates will simply stay higher for longer. Some other interesting data we got on Friday were retail sales and this is really incredibly interesting if you kind of dive deeper into the numbers. Now initially it looks like we are seeing significant weakness. US retail sales fell by 1% in March and expected was a decrease of 0.5%. Now at first sight, like I said, it seems like this is a sign of cooling inflation. But let me tell you that this is not really the case because if we separate retail sales into its different components, we can see that the drop in retail sales was mostly caused by falling energy prices. It is the same story with inflation. Looking at the headline inflation number, it seems like inflation is cooling down and we're making great progress and the Fed is making great progress in this interest rate hike cycle. But that is mostly the, the, the falling inflation number, headline inflation, is mostly because of falling energy prices. If we look at core inflation, we can see that in fact inflation still remains very sticky. Now, um, what do the components of retail sales show us? Now, first we strip out auto. Retail sales, excluding auto, fell 0.8% instead of an expected 0.4% decrease. But then we strip out energy, and this is where it gets very interesting. Now, retail sales, excluding auto and gas, fell by only 0.3% instead of an expected decrease of 0.6%. Lisa Abramovich has summarized this very nicely on Bloomberg Surveillance recently. She said that, quote, are we just simply seeing the nominal effects of gasoline prices dropping in the face of a potential decline in the economy, end of quote. And I must say, wonderful work from the Bloomberg surveillance team at this point, truly um, thinking out of the box and truly putting retail sales into its different components to understand what the most recent number truly means for the monetary uh, um, tightening for the interest rate hike cycle um, of the Federal Reserve. Now, going back to the inflation data, Fed Governor Christopher Waller also said yesterday that core inflation does not show much improvement. And that is exactly what I mean. We are seeing retail sales and headline inflation fall, mostly because of falling energy prices. However, core inflation, which excludes the very volatile food and energy prices, still remains very sticky. And we must make a lot more progress on that number. Let us look at how the major U.S. indices performed yesterday. The S&P 500 touched a two-month high earlier in the trading session. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up for the fourth straight week. Now, the market seems very convinced that the Fed will raise rates by another 25 basis points in May. The S&P 500 finished yesterday's trading day down by 0.21% and fell to 4,137.64%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down around four-tenths of a percent and fell to 33,886.47, while the Nasdaq 100 fell 0.23% to 13,079.52 points. The weakness, can be, uh, the weakness in equities can be explained by hawkish comments from Fed official Christopher Waller and also retail sales that when excluding gasoline prices are still resilient, and also the good earnings from banks, which indicate that the Fed might have to keep interest rates higher for longer. The 10-year Treasury yield was up about 6 basis points and increased to 3.515%. 
And the VIX volatility index was down 0.73 points and decreased to 17.07. The stock of JP Morgan increased 7.9% after reporting very good numbers. Profit of JP Morgan was up 52% and revenue increased 25%. Net interest income significantly increased of JP Morgan. This can be explained by the spread between, obviously, interest revenue or, or the, the bigger spread between interest revenue that banks generate from their loans and the interest rate that they pass to depositors. The shares of Citigroup increased 4.03% after reporting an 11.5% increase in revenue. The rise in net interest income is, in this case, also a reason for the good reported numbers. And that is it for today's stock market and economic coverage. I wish you all a wonderful, wonderful weekend. A new episode will be released on Monday next week. All the best and see you next week.